All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> I have heard so many people talk about the mouth trumpet. They went more mouth trumpet. I remember the last. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Every, everybody does. Yeah, more mouth trumpet from Scott McDonald. I yep. play the actual trumpet. Yeah, but you but, are I mean, the master well, of the mouth trumpet. The nice thing about the mouth trumpet is you're always ready for a solo. Right. You're you're prepared. It's like, get, I don't have my trumpet. Oh, you don't have your trumpet. <laughs> well, I have my mouth trumpet <laughs> right here, right here <laughs> in my face. They were yeah. someone even commented. It's the same person, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, commented that I should have named last episode mouth trumpets. Oh, you know? yeah. Even, did you see what I named yeah. last episode? I did. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. You, you know, it was no comment. I thought it was pretty good. You know, fallacious beast. Yeah. Fall- oh. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you brought up the word fallacious and I had to look oh, it up. Oh, right. You, you brought yeah. it up in the last episode. So I remember I like, that part. Okay. Now I'm connecting the dots. Very good. Yeah. All right. I and like then I it. was like, oh, I'm going to go some Harry Potter there. Yeah. yeah. Little sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fallacious beast and where to find him. Hey, so this is Ollie. Title. Oh, hey, this, and this is Scott. And this is science in between. And we haven't talked about is, science at all yet. This is Scott on mouth trumpet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott Armstrong over there, you know, yeah. like Louis Armstrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. If only. Nice, nice work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what we are going to talk about today <laughs> is not using your mouth as a musical instrument, though that that you can hear on our sister podcast, music in between. Um, wow. Yeah. I think yeah. that that there is that doesn't exist. It no, it does not. Nor will no. it ever. No. Um, but um but we are going to talk about so one of the things um that i've been thinking about and then i think our group uh who who are doing this professional learning have been thinking about and i just saw um we had the college of education had a like an internal um research conference this past friday um so graduate students and faculty can come and present their work and it's it's a nice it's a really nice event and it's you know low stakes so it's particularly nice for graduate students they can practice presenting to a real audience but not you know at a at a big national conference or something but we had a fantastic um keynote speaker Nicole Pinkard who um who I've known forever she was a faculty member at Michigan when I was there and she's now at Northwestern um and does amazing work with using data um, to think about opportunities. She calls it opportunity landscaping, and it's a, a educational opportunities, obviously. But one of the things that it brought up for me, again, is this question of scaling up. So in education, for those of you who are not educational researchers or, or uh, connected to that world, um, one of the things that you always hear about and talk about is this idea of scaling up, right? That you you invent some new things, some new pedagogy, some new curriculum, some new whatever it is, educational uh, innovation. And it tend those tend to get invented in small contexts with small groups of people. Like a pilot usually, study or something. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, and often for... funded, right? There's some resources there. So you develop this thing. But then the question is like, we've spent all this time and energy developing this thing. How do we share it? How do we get other people to know about it and and try it out and use it? And then the second part of that question often is, well, how much do we have to worry about the fact that we're not there when other people are doing this and they may do it in a way that we didn't intend them to do it? Um, 
So I think this idea of of scaling up is something you know we're we're trying to do statewide work where we're working right. with people in IUs all across the state, intermediate units all across the state, and try to prepare them and help them prepare to do professional learning with the teachers in their in their units. And um, but we're not there with them. We're just trying to help them get ready for that, and then they do it on their own. Um, so I think it's just a really, for me, it's a, it's a core problem in the way that we think about education, because I think in large part, because of the way that you and I think about how learning works and right. we think about learning working in community. And so how and do you, ca- and context. How do, you do that? Yeah. Right. Like, and it's contextual, you know, factors are so critical, um, which almost like, as you're talking about it, I, I was trying to think through my brain, like when have I seen su- successful scale up mm-hmm. you know in my life like when have i seen something that started out with like some small core group and some you know small scale you know pilot study or something that was funded and then try to ramp it up so that it, like offered more people or brought more people in to like you know usher that or you know steward that into a larger population mm-hmm. and there are fair, very few successful things i can think of yeah. you know no, it's a, I mean, it's a difficult task, right? It is, it is not, um, it's not straightforward. And, and, you know, historically, the way that we've often thought about this in educational context is through curriculum. So, you know, back in the sixties, when the National Science Foundation started really funding projects, when they were early on, like one of the biggest things, and they spent a lot of time funding into the eighties and, and into now um, curriculum projects. Right. And, and the idea was, well, you develop a curriculum, a set of materials and you distribute that. And that's gonna, that's gonna do the work. That's gonna carry this new practice, this new idea out into the field. And of course we know that that doesn't work very well. Right. That and that's teachers what things, have a lot of agency. Right. And when they, and the curriculum designers, they often say, well, the curriculum wasn't, you know, implemented with fidelity, right? With that fidelity, it was, it's the not the, right. It's not the curriculum's problem. It's the implementation of yep. the curriculum. That's, that's the right. problem. And, and it's like, well, hold on. No, we're, we're in the people profession. And so with fidelity may have meant that, you know, the person had to, you know, modify it because it wasn't going to work for the students in front of them. Right. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, it's like, I, hold on, this is a completely different reading level, or I have, you know, seven, you know, English language learners in the room, or like it's yeah, yeah it's yeah. it it's there's it's riddled with, you know, opportunity. It's a landmine, right? Yeah. Of that fidelity landmine. Right. Right. It is. And and fidelity, so again, this is another fancy science word or uh, education research word, but um but just to say, basically, fidelity is a measure of how closely does the person who's doing the thing do it the way you want it done. Right. Um, and the more fidelity, the the more like it is that, you know, in the way that you want it, which, you know, to Ali's point, to your point, is what makes this such a challenge, right? Because if we say we want things to be contextualized, we want well, they're going to, whether we want to or not, but we we want to design or think about the fact that teachers are going to modify things um, because they should, because that's what good responsive teaching is. But then the flip side of that is, well, if they modify it and and take away all the, the um, difficult goodness that we packed into that thing, then what happens? Like what, what, are, 
is it still the same thing? Do we call it the same thing? Do we call it scaling up? Um, do, what do we call it and and how do we feel about it? And um, so, yeah, I just think it's, you know, for me, it's fascinating because I'm, I think to your point, I haven't seen a lot of examples. So I think we could talk about AST, ambitious science teaching as, as an interesting example of something that has had reasonable success in terms of scaling. Um, right. But, but even then, I think there's probably, you know, I mean, a huge diversity of, of notions about what ambitious science teaching is. Absolutely. But I think, you know, you know, like cycling back to the fidelity piece, I, I think about like how curriculum designers try to control that, mm. like trying to say, okay, um, we want to proof it. They what? Yeah, they absolutely want to teacher proof it so that it can be done. And, and this is where the, we start to get into like scripted lessons and that. Yeah. BS, right? Which yeah. is, you know, if you've ever worked or you know somebody who works in a scripted lesson environment, oh my gosh. I mean, it's it's just like a robot, right? And, you know, the and it's all for the guise of fidelity, right? Well, you know, we're trying to take you as, you know, like the influence out of the picture, right? Like right. your your negative influence as the teacher, we're taking that out. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's That's a like, it's a hundred percent a deficit mindset, right? Which is to say that right. all all the teacher can do is make it worse. So yeah. we have to try and crank up the structure in this so that there's no room for them to screw it up, um, because that's what they're going to do. So, so I think one of the things we have to do is to think about like rather than you know think about okay, you know what the curriculum designers are like talking about and how they you know would talk about fidelity and, you know, all that BS. I think it would be better for us to go, okay, what are some of the factors that would help scale this up, you know, and increase buy-in and increase, you know, a a teacher's ability to implement it, not with fidelity. I don't want to use mm-hmm. that terminology nope. because, because it's very, you know, evaluative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Implement it in their classroom in authentic ways mm-hmm. and effective ways, mm-hmm. but still be mindful of the students and the classroom environment in which they work. Yeah. No, I, I think that's that's the question. I think for me, the the interesting irony that maybe I'm coming upon is to get to a place where the people um, that you're working with can can engage in the kinds of practice that you want them to. You first have to create space and agency for them to engage in the practice, right. not the way that you want them to, right. right? Which I think is really, you know, it's a really hard thing. Like you have to say, okay, I'm going to watch them do it, or I'm going to be with them doing it, and I'm going to watch them do it in ways that I don't want them to do it, and I'm not going to tell them they're doing it badly. Uh, we're just going to keep talking about it because if I go in and and evaluate them and tell them they're not doing this with fidelity, it just positions them as as you know again in a deficit way, and and it's not going to lead to productive change. So it's such an interesting for me tension that like the way to make get them to higher degrees of quote unquote fidelity is to allow them to to experiment and learn through lower degrees of fidelity. Wow. That just made my brain hurt there for a second. No, but I think that like the that experimentation that like coming to the conclusion that this thing 
can be, you know, workable, right, in their environment. And if they just figure out like ways to implement it in a way that makes it work in their in their classrooms, I think is is a, is a great perspective. But I think they have to one buy in to the process and understand the goals of the process, right? So, I mean, we're talking to AST, but I think like in anything, like, you know, whether it's, a, you know, some research, you know, agenda or whether it's some bigger project, they have to go, okay, I understand what this, the goal, the larger goal of this, like the mission of this thing is. Mm-hmm. And I buy into that. I buy mm-hmm. into the fact that this is something, you know, that we need to do, whether it's, you know, study this thing or, you know, give, you know, whatever I, we could, you know, make up yeah. stuff. But, but I think that there's got to be some buy-in and they've got to have, a, a, a belief that that's a thing that's going to be for the better, right? That it's going to improve something that needs to be improved because all, you know, change is about innovation. It's about improvement. Right. It's about like recognizing that there's something that isn't working and wanting to make it work better yes. or be better, right? Yeah. And I think you're right that agency is really important. And I think that's part of the process that that we're talking about here is that if you open it up and allow people agency, well, the the natural response to agency is that they're going to make changes in the thing that you're doing, right? Because right. that's what agency is. Um, but I think that you know, again, the really interesting thing about that is, like, it can it can actually if we're if we can renege, uh, renege is the wrong word. If we can release control and allow experimentation what actually can come out of that is things that are not fidelity in the way that we were thinking about it, but actually are better, right? Like, I think this is the thing that we don't talk about in educational context is if we really work with the people that we are trying to help develop these new practices, well, they oftentimes will innovate in ways that we didn't expect, but are better than the solution that we had, right? So you actually end up with a stronger thing by opening it to the possibility that others can contribute to your your notions and your vision, right? And that it's not it's not that I have the correct answer. It's that I have an answer, but it's not complete and it's not right. And I want, you know, it's exactly like we talk about science, but again with teaching, like coming in and stepping into this space and saying, look, here's some things to try. Let's try them. And then if they don't work, let's try new things and see how it goes. Um, but uh, but this obsession but I, with correct answers translates easily into teaching too for both the researchers and the, the teachers. But I think there's some sort of, you know, we're, we've been talking about like the agency of the person implementing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's got to, we also have to like change the focus a little bit to, whoever's the person leading the change, right? Mm -hmm. Like that the person, there's always like some person or group of people who are like at the center. Like maybe they, the people who came up with the idea or maybe they're the people who were the first pilot group of this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that they, they have to have a certain, you know, mindset in terms of, you know, and selflessness to say, okay, you know what? I don't have all of the answers. I may have created this thing. I may came up with the idea of this thing. Mm-hmm. I may have been the person who was the first, I don't know, prophet or prophesizer. I made the you know, list. I made the list, right? I just totally that that word I tried messed up in there. You know, <laughs> that's that's, that's it was good. good. It was- yeah. 
but but I was the original person or people yeah. that came up with this. But the idea is out there, and they have to take this non-authoritarian perspective on its growth and its implementation because that's the only way that it's going to improve and reach more people and you know and and actually morph into the thing that is might be great mm-hmm. but it might be better mm-hmm. down the road it might already be great with all of this data yeah. and whatever but being authoritarian in terms of how the implementation is is going to keep that thing that's great from being awesome right yeah well and the truth of it is that all these ideas developed that way right like nobody developed an idea like ambitious science teaching on their own right even even the three authors of the book the 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 book right um mark jessica and and melissa like even they like they were collaborating with teachers and working with students and they were working with other colleagues and they presented their work and got feedback on it like so those notions of like it's my idea and I thought it up. I mean, this is a very academic sort of way of thinking about how ideas come into the world is like I thought it up and therefore it is my idea. Well, that's that's I mean, childishly simple to think about, especially complex ideas and and difficult things like sets of practices that are that are relevant for science teaching. So um so then to to then take it and you know, again, now we treat it as a right answer. Well, ambitious science teaching is the right answer. So I'm going to go give it to people in the, in the form of the list that has been produced by the community so far. And that's going to transform all this practice. I mean, I I just think that's, that that's notionally uh, crazy. Well, I mean, but I think that it it really like, uh, like if we think back to the heart of our show, right. Which was this, like the science in between, like great in between is that like that thing that we grasped onto because it's like the space between people is where the real idea comes from Mm -hmm. you know so like you know mark and jessica and that it's it's not mark and it's not jessica or anyone else it's like in that space between really smart people coming together with like similar ideas and it's just blossoms out of that when it's you see it happen Mm -hmm. it's awesome right Yeah. But then that space just keep can, can continue to grow as you you know scale up. Yeah, if we take that approach, right? If yeah, you take and I approach- think and I think your point there too, I think that's worth emphasizing is the difference in level of reward. Because if you go in and you assume everybody um, that you're working with has to do it the way that you want, then you're going to be disappointed a lot, and right. you're going to spend a lot of your time being angry. Because you're like, why aren't these people do like, I know the right way and they're all doing it wrong. Like, why won't they just do it right? Because I know the right thing. And, and the reverse, as you just described, like when you open it up to a conversation about, well, what is this thing and how can we make it amazing? Well, then everybody feels really good when it turns out to be amazing. Um, And, and it, and it does things that nobody was expecting, which is what makes it amazing. Right. Because just like the root word, like it, it, it's amazing. It, it, it is not what you expected. Well, I think a little bit like, like, here's an example from our PD, right? You, you have done this keynote thing about right answers, right? Mm -hmm. And you've done this keynote, you've talked about it a couple different forums and you've done it with our professional development. And then I was brought in to like, do something at like a school district. And I was like, there's no way I can pull that off. I can't pull off that conversation, even though I knew understood the goals of that conversation and what your, you know, the underlying, you know, 
destination you wanted to get someone to, right? In mm-hmm. terms of like thinking and you were guiding through people through, that's just really small scale. It's like not like something like some great, like millions of people are mm-hmm. like buying into some, you know, uh, innovation, but I couldn't pull that off. There's no way I could because it wasn't like I understood your logic and I agreed with your logic. It was just something that I knew based on the context and the environment I was going into and based on my relationship with those people, I was never going to be able to have that conversation with them. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and look at it from a different perspective. And I chose I chose to do something very different than that. However, still on that same, you know, still with the same goals, the same, it's, it, it, they would look to somebody, it would go, these two things are not the same, mm-hmm. but they are the same to you and mm-hmm. I, they are like the same conversation. It's just coming at it from, you know, very different perspectives. Right. Right. And well, they ended that, up being complementary. now they work yes. together. Right. Right. They now but have it was, become a unit, but you could have been, you could have been the guy and went, look, you know, I put a lot of time and energy in this thing, you know, just do this presentation. It works 100% yeah. of the time if you do it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? If you do it like I mean, me. If you do it like me. Which is the right way. Which is the right way. Then it's going to work 100% yeah, it'll of the be, time. It'll be perfect. And if it doesn't work, then it's all on you, bud. And I was really too bad for you. Because <laughs> yeah, you suck. <laughs> you suck at facilitating. But we, you know, we sort of knew that already. But here we are. Yes. Yet again. Some, yeah. More evidence. <laughs> more evidence. Ollie can't follow directions. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. But instead, what you said is, you know, you and I chatted and you went, here's the thing. And I'm like, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And you're like, Okay, yeah, I think that would work. Here's some things, some feedback on how to do it. And I took all of that feedback and basically implemented. Yeah. You sent me like some PDFs and you said, here's some things I think you should consider. And I was like, oh, this is really good. These are the things I'm going to bring in that help me do something of my own, right? That was informed by your stuff, but it still was, you know, met the goals, met the yeah. objectives that we set. Um, yeah. And that's something that I think. Somehow we have to to break this idea of we scale up by keeping it consistent. You know, we scale, we scale up by uh, like almost allowing it to evolve. Yep. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I was just thinking, I have been thinking a lot actually about, because I'm going to take this to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging for a minute. So one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, Along with our obsession with right answers, we have an obsession with equality, right? Mm. As opposed to equity. So right. if you look at what we do in schools, like, oh, well, an A always means an A, right? It's 90% or above, you know, like that is a thing. Like we, we, we want equality. We want to treat everyone equally. Um, and all our assessments are like that, right? Like the SAT is we treat everyone exactly the same and then we score them and we say that's fair. And actually, of course, it isn't fair. And we've known that for a long time, right? Fairness is not about equality. It's about equity. It's about understanding that people have different needs and, and you have to be responsive to those needs. And if you don't, then what you're really engaged in is you know, what, what you can call it, whatever you want to call it, whiteness, white supremacy, like the hierarchical thinking, the idea that I am right and everyone else has to do it my way. Like that is a fundamental problem in the way that we think about education, as opposed to thinking about it as we're a community trying to figure out things together. Right. Well, it's like that whenever you, 
that that there's that graphic where you know there's yeah. a like the tree there's like yeah. a guy standing next to a tree or the people watching a sports ball game or whatever right yeah, yeah but yeah. i like the tree one better because it's like he's standing there and he has a clipboard and he's like okay today's assessment is oh, who can climb the tree the fastest yeah. and there's you know there's a monkey there there's a elephant a there's walrus. you know a walrus <laughs> you know there's a fish in a fishbowl yeah. you know it's like uh uh hold on here <laughs> Something's wrong you know, with this picture. Yeah, I thought you were well, talking about on. the one where where there's like the equity, equality. I forget what all the labels are, but there are different pictures of people watching like a, a sporting game. event, trying yeah. trying to look over a fence, basically. Yeah. And it's like, no, and I love that one because it really gets at the heart of assessment, right? It's like, yeah. well, we're not, yeah, sure. It was the same assessment. It was totally fair. Yep. It was the same assessment. Everybody got the same assessment. Everybody. Assessment. It's a totally a, an equal environment for everyone to be successful. Right. Hold on. The, yeah. Their playing field is not the same here. Yeah. And so, so should curriculum in rural Ab- Alabama look like curriculum in New York City? Of course it shouldn't. That's an insane idea. Yeah. Like, but, but that's the way we think about it. Like, oh, well, that's, and, and we think about it that way because we think about equality, not equity. And we think yeah. about like, well, what, what is our goal here? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, and it is not everybody to be treated exactly the same because that's not the way it works. Yeah. And, you know, so I just, I just came back from a, a conference and uh, I spent a lot of time in the exhibit hall only because, what was unique about this uh, conference was, and I hadn't seen this done in other conferences. It was actually, for those of you who are listening, it was the uh, the American, uh, the Association for Middle Level Education. So former middle school teacher, you know, it was it was somewhat local. It was in D.C. So um, we went, we drove down, me, a, co- a bunch of colleagues, we, we spent the uh, weekend there. And I spent a lot of time in the exhibit hall because what they had done was they had small group presentations, sort of like these lightning rounds, speed rounds in the exhibit hall, all the way back in the back. So you had to walk through the exhibit to get to those tables, Mm. right? And then this, I'm sure this is some sort of deal they made with the, you know, Mm -hmm. the, but there was so much curriculum there, right? So much curriculum. And so you see these like big boxes of curriculum where, well, they're like, okay, here, and it was for everything, like, you know, mm-hmm. reading, math, science, you know, social, emotional learning, you know, prevention of al- uh, kids drinking alcohol, you know, yeah. all of this stuff. Um, and then all of them are these gigantic boxes of like, here's how you implement them, right? right? And and I, I wonder – like, and you know what that looks like, right? I mean, yep. it's a like the textbook, the teacher's edition of the textbook, and it has the textbook and along the sides of the textbook. It's all these, you know, here's how you do this, right? right. And sometimes it's, you know, very scripted because, yes. uh, you know, they want to make sure it's implemented with fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder whether a better approach is is not this big box of curriculum, you know, big box of stuff, but, you know, something more foundational in terms of like okay here's the 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 goals this is the mindset this is the thing you know and then lots of examples of what that could look like in lots of different settings yeah you know and rather than the the book right a book it's like okay well here's a host of different resources you can choose from that and maybe this is what some curriculum designers i kind of like buzz by them and just grab a lifesaver or two right that's right like all right i'll grab a life and if they have some really like good swag maybe i'll grab like something (laughs) like a you know flashlight or you know Mm. uh, a bag but you know so i don't like get sucked in because i'm not in that space but some people are like i'm taking home like 
curricula, right? Not me. Curricula. Um, yeah. But I mean, that maybe that's a better way of designing that stuff is, you know, providing examples and opportunities of saying, okay, we, we recognize you're going to need to modify this for your, your context. Yeah. And here's some ideas on how to do that. Yeah. I think like I th- I think that's a that's a good start for a curriculum. Um I think I think the the thing that I cuz I think there are, there are versions of that and that sort of not not to your level of sophistication and and complexity but I but I still think we have to figure out I don't know what the right word is but letting go of this notion that um that the goal of this is to do something that gets distributed to everybody. Yeah, it is something that we have to think about. Like how to how do we distribute it in a way that still stays true to whatever the objectives are, but also provides permission and agency. Permission, I, I don't like that term, but it's I'm gonna like kind of like hold on to that until I come up with something better. Like yeah. giving agency, and again, giving agency, but like opening up the curriculum and opening up the the change so they, someone else can own it too. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, like you say, that's sort of the heart of the show, right? Which is that the answer isn't in your head. The answer is in the conversation with the people that you're trying to solve the problem with. And whether that's kids in a science classroom or whether that's teachers or whether that's intermediate unit people or whoever. Um, But I do think, you know, one of the things that I've, I think we've all recognized about the challenges of doing of whatever version of this you want to call it, scaling up or trying to to move an innovation in practice out into the world, um, is that it ultimately requires relationship building and conversation and community, um, and that's the way these things get scaled. and And so we have to be thinking about what is the thing that we do to to make that possible at the scale that we want to do it. Like, how do we think about that in statewide work? And we're trying to think about it through these professional learning communities that we're establishing. Um, And I hope that works, but at least philosophically it's aligned with our values, right? We're saying, this is what we care about. We want to put people in community, in conversation with each other about these, these innovative practices and, and help them understand what they look like and how they play out. And then they can start moving them out into, uh, into classrooms and into working with other teachers. Right. Yeah. I I like that. You brought in values. I like that. Mm. That is something I, I don't think we talk a lot about. Like we talk about mission statements and objectives and all that, but like values, connotes something different, right? There's yeah. something else that's there. And I think back I, I, a bunch of years ago, I read um, a Simon Sinek book, like, you know, oh, yeah. like yeah, he's, leaders, he, leaders eat last. last. Yeah. I think that was the book that we read. Um, and uh, one of the things that I think that was the book that asked folks to, what are your values? Like mm. come up with a value statement. Like, what are your values? Like, what do you value in? And so doing some hard work around what your values are as a leader, as a person or as a teacher or whatever, like, who do you see yourself and what are the things that you like, what are the core values of, of who you are? And I think that is the thing that we should spend some time thinking about as we talk about this, whatever this thing is we developed is, you know, cause the, 
like what is the what is the values what are the core values of this this thing mm-hmm. so that people can buy into that like or yeah. or like at least know like what is and like what is it like what is the thing at the heart of whatever this implement uh, this innovation or implementation is you know right because there should be some there should be something that holds all of these different versions of the thing together right and maybe that's right. values right is to say like well you can do AST however you want, as long as it's responsive and and builds on kids' ideas and debt that like we could build right. build a set of values descriptions that say all of the other things matter a lot less. Whether you know about what back pocket questions are or summary tables, or right. whether you have a phenomenon driven curriculum or all these other things, like maybe those are are less important. But what is important are these core values about. Why did we why do we have all that other structure there? Well, we have all that other structure there because we're trying to accomplish something. We're trying to accomplish curious but not judgmental in our in our classrooms, right? Right. But then it, it comes back to anytime when we start to, you know, have this thing evolve, we haven't, you know, I'm I don't want to say a metric. You know, it's a well, it, it would be a metric, but it would be a different metric for fidelity than, you know, are you using the same words? Is, a, is this are, is this implementation, this evolution aligned with the values of this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a way different conversation than, oh, you you used worksheet seven before worksheet eight, yeah. you know, and it's actually, you know, I guess I mixed that up, but <laughs> like, yeah, I did. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the no. thing about our numbering system is it goes backwards. Right. So yeah. you're supposed to use eight and then seven. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's how, you know, yeah. curriculum designers would look at it. Like, sure. Oh, hold on. You you chose to do this exercise or this activity before this other one. You can't do chapter three before chapter two. Right. Yes. You, well, unless you, you're in the backward numbered system of our curriculum, and then that, that right. would be the correct way to do it. What, what is what's it? What's the books? The books that read backwards that uh, the graphic novels. There's some graphic novels that read backwards. Oh, yeah, know. yeah. So some listener out there knows it. Yeah, they're yelling right. at you right now. So, core values, I think. Core values, I think, is a, a yeah. critical thing to to. And I think as as designers, as the people, the you know innovators, we've got to just like realize that we may have this thing might have been birthed by us, but we're not raising it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it takes it takes a village, right? So, yeah. um, and and all of those, and really, you birth a thing, and then it it multiplies right it becomes many children it's not right. it's not like your child it's your child you know and it's offspring yeah and or it's it's twins or it's whatever right whatever yeah. the analogy is but yeah it's siblings that develop as those things morph into new hopefully better um versions i mean some of them aren't going to be but some of them are going to be so yeah all right that's all right. that's cool Scaling up some choice. Yeah. I mean, I think we didn't really, I mean, we talked about scaling up. Of course, we always take it back to where we always take it back to. Um, but I do think um, this is, this is something that uh, is, is a real problem in the way that we think about things like funding, right? Because if, funding. if your funding model is, I want to work 
I mean, we talk about it like co-design and other versions of it, but if, if your if your funding model is essentially, I want to go and work with a group of teachers to develop some interesting new practices, um, they'll say, well, that's not very well articulated. Like, tell us what practices you want to develop and how you're, once you've, once you've articulated them more carefully, how you're going to scale that out to as many people as possible. Cause you have to have maximum impact for this, for us to give you any kind of funding for it. Right. And it's like, well, okay, but that model is fundamentally the problem, right? So you, you've asked a question that, that which uh, puts you in the position of not, there's some logical fallacy in there if we want to go back to it. Oh, but yeah. The way you've asked the question makes it impossible for me to answer the question in a way that's authentically real. Um, so that's the problem is you're, you've asked a bad question. Well, I, coming back to logical fallacies, I had this conversation with my son yesterday and he just kept pointing out like we were like arguing about something. And he's like, that's a straw man argument. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, dude. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's an on ad hominem attack right there, Dad. He did say that's exactly what he said. That's an ad hominem attack. Nice. That's like, oh, dude. Uh, Have you got the Wikipedia page open in front of you right now? Because you're really pissing me off with that. <laughs> no, we're just like on a walk. We were on a walk together. And he's just uh, like, he was convincing me, he was trying to convince me to allow him to skip school. Oh, coming up because I had a yeah. senior skip day coming up. He's like, dad, mm. let me skip school. And then I was like giving him a host of reasons. And he just <laughs> kept coming up with logical the logical fallacies. fallacies in my argument. <laughs> oh, it was so great. All right. Uh, Joyce, you got a joy? I got a joy. It's sort of a depressing joy, but it was a, it's a joy. So this weekend, sorry, this weekend I watched uh, Banshees of Inishirin. Oh, um, I don't think we've talked about this as a joy. I but... it, it, it I I think I talked about it at some point, but did yeah, you? Well, well then I, I might have. I, then I shouldn't no. say it. Why should you? Like, well, I want to hear know. your take on it. I well, might've... I mean, it's uh. So it, if you have heard about it before, apologies. But but um, but I have a, a an affinity for the Irish, and this is an Irish film about um about an island off the coast of of the mainland Irish island and this community of a very small community living in the like 1920s yeah um and there it's really about two men or three men and a woman or you know but yeah. um but but the main the main protagonists are Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and at the beginning of the movie, they were best friends. And this is sort of about the, a change in their friendship, let's just say, but the impact of it in the it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an amazingly well-acted movie. It's um, I mean, it's, it's terribly, terribly sad, which is very Irish. Um, it's sort of unrelentingly sad. There's a few, you know, there's a few moments that are, that are not, but um but I think it's it's just a you know it's a comment on what it means to live in a small community where there's you know you only have so many people and um and and having to negotiate that and how people have needs that sometimes one person is giving up uh to another person what, what giving them what they need and not taking what what they need themselves and it's just a it's beautifully acted and um yeah it's just it's it's heartbreaking but awesome 
it was my joy on episode 126. 126. So that was yeah. four. That was almost a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it's well, a tough watch. It's a tough watch. I, I mean, it is it's right. Beautiful. Ollie's it is alley. I got to oh, say. Like, it is this like. Is like it's like uh, your what's it, what's the book of Ove guy the the oh, yeah. like master of depressing F- Frederick novels. Bachman yeah 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 so um, but uh, it's yeah. brilliantly acted brilliantly acted so good yeah I it's st- like a tour de force of of acting right there yeah, yeah. I, I still don't I still don't know how they managed to make Colin Farrell look. I don't want to say homely, but ordinary. I mean, he's a good looking guy and, um, and stunningly like charismatic and he's good in, in the film. I'm not trying to say that, but they make him because he has to be, his character has to be a much more sort of normal looking and feeling human being, which is that in and of itself is impressive. But, and, and the, the kid, like, so the, the, uh, What's his name? Dominic uh, in the in the no film, Barry right? Barry Keegan. Yeah, is that, he's um, that's, is that how you pronounce his last name? K e o g h a n. Yeah, Keegan Keegan. Yeah, Barry Barry Keegan. Yeah, yeah. He, Dominic Kearney. Yeah, he's great. He is the best actor in that. I mean, of a group of actors that are just doing amazing craft. He's the best thing going in that movie, and I just go, wow, yeah, yeah. He's, he's pretty impressive, and he's he's been in a lot of things, right. and he's um, a young kid. He is. He was great in Dunkirk. If you ever saw that film, but I have uh, not. I have to check it out. Oh, All right. Man. So so here's uh, it's a it's a short one. This is like I've been doing a lot of like AI stuff. You know, I've been playing around with this, and there's uh one thing that came on my radar just recently called Research Rabbit. Hmm. Okay. okay. Research Rabbit. Yep. I'm ready. And and so a Research Rabbit is uh, a site that's free and it says it's going to be free for researchers for you know ever. That's what it says for. Um, but it's a tool that will um link with your Zotera account. Mm-hmm. Take your articles and put all this Zotera for those of you who don't use it or don't know about it. Um, it is a uh a like sort of a library repository where you can take all your PDFs and organize them into folders and it leaves online so that you can access them where, wherever you want and you can share libraries. So if Scott and I were working on something, you know, wanted to share a library of, of articles, we could do that pretty easily. Um, what Research Rabbit does is it takes your libraries or folders that you have created and um, and then maps them. Yeah. Cool. And it maps them to show you other people you should be possibly reading or other things that they've collaborated with and similar topics. And, you know, I haven't dug into it a whole lot, but it just blew my mind when I saw it. And it's something that I'm definitely going to play around with. I have a couple projects going on with some different folks and, and this is something I'm going to like dig into. Cause it's like, ah, oh, you know, cause you look for stuff and you're trying to find like a really comprehensive, you know, lit review on something. And this is a really good tool to help you find, like get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm interested to look at that, especially because um, I'm interested in how it might connect to Bolsotero and Obsidian. I talked about Obsidian. Uh, yeah, you did. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. There we are. Episode was this one sixty whatever. One sixty whatever. It's definitely that one. One sixty 
five, maybe? Six. It's even. It's me. You're the odd. I'm the Oh, 166. Look at that. Six. Yeah. In the books. In the books. Yeah. 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 We'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. Bye now.